This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, and we are back on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And this is Stanley Fritz, your favorite PC engineer host of the show, when Selena is not taking cover of it. And I'm here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs. Selena Hill is five foot one of energy and adorableness. Alyssa is five foot something, mostly God, zero. You are so wrong on both of our heights, Of Stanley. alcohol and legal intelligence. And I am Stanley Five foot eleven point six three inches of whiskey, ignorance, and trap music. And if you love talking about politics and smart things, this is not the place to be because I drank too much before the show started. So I want to paint a picture for you guys. So how many people in this room and hopefully outside in this world heard that New York just voted in agreements to raise the minimum wage? The federal minimum wage for, for workers. No, state minimum wage. but Well, it's part, yes, state. Thank <clears> you. Oh, I said federal. Such an idiot. So state <laughs> minimum wage for workers. Just raise your hands if you know that. So I posted a status about it because I thought it was a great thing. I was a little frustrated because even though they raised the minimum wage for New York City to $15 an hour, and it'll go to $15 an hour eventually for Long Island and Westchester, upstate New York got left behind at twelve fifty. So I mentioned that. And then what happened was pretty much a volcano eruption of comments and arguments and political pandering and punditry from all of my friends who didn't feel like these people deserved to get a minimum wage. There were so many people who were frustrated that someone at McDonald's was going to be making 15 an hour in 2018 mm. that it made their blood boil and some of them even threatened to get rid of me and while they were typing profusely on their computer screens and looking up links at theblaze.com to show me why poor people are stupid and lazy <laughs> and then inboxing me to tell me that they're disappointed in my political point of view there was a president in Iceland who was being forced to resign do you know why Selena? Yes. Yes and I'll tell the rest of the people why too <laughs> since you want to try to steal my intro shine Miss hill this president in iceland was being forced to resign because he had millions of dollars in a shell company that he had made from working with banks in that country and you know what when it was time to report all your fundings during 2007 2008 when the world was collapsing from a financial crisis he did not report those figures and even though Iceland, we always look at them as one of those places that went after the big banks and went after the people that were stealing money, the president himself was one of those people. And while he was out there sending all these bankers to jail and saying we weren't going to accept this, he was keeping money for himself. And then we found out that Vladimir Putin has billions of dollars in money in a shell corporation somewhere. And you know what? A lot of that money is dirty. And we're saying, wow, we knew Putin was crazy. We knew he was dangerous. We knew he was corrupt. But now we know for sure that he's also a thief. Mm. And all of a sudden, people were saying, but wait, wait, how do you know this information? And there was something very interesting about how we knew that information, something called the Panama Papers. So I will give you some background. About a year ago, over two terabytes of information from a hard drive in a company in Panama was leaked to reporters. And these reporters, 400 of them, got together and worked as a team to unpack all that information. And what did it tell us? It told us about the corporations and the business people and the rich people and the super wealthy who are going to this organization, this firm in Panama to create shell companies in Panama and in other places. Thank you very much, Alyssa. Um, Mossack firm, I think it's called. And they were going to all these places to create these shell companies. And they were doing this for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it was just to, you know, put some money aside. Other times it was because they didn't want people to know what new businesses they were starting. And then in more sinister places, they were trying to hide their tax dollars away from the American people and the European people and all the people who could hold them accountable. And they were doing this successfully. And now this information is out. But Greg, 
who left 15 comments on my page and put three Blaze.com links on my wall and then inboxed me and asked me why I was a socialist. <laughs> really? Is mad because someone who is Makes struggling now price. is going to make $15 an hour in 2018 when, two, when $15 an hour will be the, the equate, pretty much equate to $5 an hour. And that is the place that we stand today as we begin to have this conversation about the Panama Papers because you shouldn't be so upset about Jason or Jackie or Maria or Thomas who was fighting for $15 an hour. There is someone else you should be paying attention to. And we want to tell you all about those people and that persons. And we want to tell you how we got this information about them through the Panama Papers. And to help us with this conversation, because we all know Stanley can only keep a coherent conversation going for about three and a half minutes. And then I pass off from over drinking. <laughs> we have an amazing guest on the show. And her name is Miss Marina Karn. And she is the associate editor. And I'm hoping I didn't butcher her title, because if I did, she can feel free to punch me in the ear. And or you can call her news editor at the Atlantic, and she covers breaking and daily news, domestic and international. And she is someone who I am very excited to speak to because she gave a really great background on the Panama Papers and the Atlantic, which is obviously a publication that has done amazing work around stories like this. And as we all know, Tanahasi Coates writes for them as well. Is just one of those staple publications that we should all support. So, Marina, good morning. And before we talk about important stuff, what is your favorite thing to drink during brunch? Uh, well, first, thank you so much for having me, and I feel like I have to disclose my height to be part of the group. I'm 5'2", if that helps. Um, <laughs> favorite thing to drink during brunch, I would say the Bloody Mary. The Bloody Mary? So you are a 5'2 leader Yay! of editorial work at The Atlantic who drinks Bloody Marys while she's writing long-form articles telling people what to think about the Panama Papers, correct? Well, you asked me what I drink during brunch. I don't think I drank anything while writing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's one thing I've always really liked about The Atlantic is the long-form articles that I feel like you only get sort of in the Sunday Times magazine section, but The Atlantic does that all the time, and they're really good for people like me who like to sit down and read a long-form article, although yeah. I know to so many people just like those attention getters. Yeah, I like to write long-form, but I do my best writing. Marina, you can, like, disagree because you are actually a real writer. I like to <laughs> drink some whiskey first and not because it makes me a better writer but it makes me care less so i can get the words out and once Wait, i care that's less, why you have so many grammatical errors soon your mic is <laughs> off now go ahead marina proofread <laughs> well Proofy? i mean it- it loosens you up, right? So, like, the words just flow after that happens. Exactly, Selena. Yeah. Proofreading is for women and Europeans. I can't Thank you very you. much. Donald Trump That's 2016. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no. What's not offensive that comes out of Stanley's mouth? <laughs> this is very true. All right, guys. So now, let's get back to the topic at hand. I gave you what I'm assuming is a very muddled introduction to what the Panama Papers are. And we have Marina here because she is brilliant and she knows things. And we want Marina to please give us some basic background on the Panama Papers leak and what it means. Right. Well, no, I thought that was a a great introduction. Like you said, um, 400 journalists have spent the last year just combing through this massive, massive leak, which is 11.5 million documents from a single uh, company, which is Mossack Fonseca, and that's a wealth management firm that's based in Panama. Um, So, in short, what all of this information has revealed is very rich people's secret financial dealings. The effect that the Panama paper leak had was, you know, um, sending a bunch of people into dark rooms and shining a flashlight and revealing this secret world of the global elite where they can easily and anonymously and very legally hide and shuffle and move around money with very little uh, government oversight. 
Um, and so this week re- revealed information from uh, about dozens of current and former world leaders, dozens of politicians, even professional soccer players. And the names come from a host of different countries, Russia, Ukraine, China, Syria, Egypt, the list goes on. And so um, on Sunday, exactly a week ago from uh, when we're talking, these news organizations started publishing stories about these dealings and what they mean for the whole public to see. Wow. So more or less, we're talking about, if I can put it in Stanley terms, Jason wants to cheat on his girlfriend. His creepy friend who lives in (laughs) Queens says, hey, you can use my basement to go on dates and the McDonald's over here because no one shops here. And then finally, a whole bunch of other people who know how to read and have morals caught him and all of his other friends who were doing this and put them on blast. Correct? Uh, Yeah, I think that's a fairly accurate assessment. Thank you very much, Selena. Um, so, Marina, I have a question, and shout out to you and me for the short girls and Alyssa. Marina and short Marina. women, Selena. This is America. What? Anyway, so I just want to say <laughs> shout out to everyone below five feet. I mean, five, five. Um, so I wanted to know, so, I um, mean, you know, I was doing research on the, the massive leak. Can you explain why there weren't more names and, like, more renowned people from America um, who were leaked or resigning? I mean, because we've seen, like, a lot of people resign from um, the um, from Iceland and from other countries in Europe, and you see like a lot of backlash, but you don't really hear anything like that going on here in America. Right. So that's a good question. So the only an, a certain number of journalists right now have access to this leak, and they've only reported on a portion of its context, uh, content. So they said there's more to come. So so far, at least, um, the U.S. has kind of escaped scrutiny from financial regulators here. I think it was USA Today that conducted an analysis of what was out there and found that um, most facts on sake of this company had ties to 1,000 U.S. companies, mostly in Nevada, which is kind of a mini tax haven in the U.S. But that's not something, like you said, to the scale of um, revealing that Iceland's prime minister has millions of dollars in an offshore company. So I'm not sure if it's a matter of maybe they're saving the best for last. Um, there's still a lot more stories to come from the leaks, but I think that the story is still really going to resonate in the U.S., um, especially with people who align themselves with the Occupy movement, you know, the idea of the 99% against the 1%, because the people who are creating these offshore accounts globally are part of that 1%. Absolutely. So, especially in in the ongoing presidential primaries on the Democratic side, where you've got a debate that is very much about income disparity in the U.S. and where Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton have for months been in this tug of war over her ties to Wall Street. Um, You know, the Panama Papers may not have implicated any high-profile officials in the U.S. yet, but I think it's definitely going to resonate in the conversation here. Absolutely, absolutely. If you're listening to this conversation, you have a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. Hi, Marina, Alyssa here. Um, I totally agree with what you just said. I um, So I have an interesting question. I was reading, uh, or actually not because I necessarily wanted to, but somebody said to me, hey, read this article. And it was a Wall Street Journal article. And I'm pretty liberal, so I don't generally speaking read the Wall Street Journal. But it was written by somebody who was pretty conservative. Um, and, you know, basically it made the argument that liberal policies or pro- liberal progressive policies in these European countries specifically um, that make it that with 
with where there's very high taxes are the reason why so many people are doing this. And it essentially made the argument that if Bernie Sanders was to get elected here, that we would see even more of this and would specifically see more of this with Americans because so many people would try and be avoiding taxes. And of course, then went one step further to make the argument like this is why we need tax cuts and, you know, make very conservative arguments. So I just wanted to get your perspective on that sort of counterpoint. I disagree with that. Um, You know, obviously, you know, Wall Street Journal perspective, but I do think it's an interesting perspective that like progressive liberal tax policy in European countries where taxes are high directly leads to this situation and that if the United States was to, for example, vote for Bernie and go down this route, it would actually exacerbate this situation, not make it better. So, so he's making the argument that it's the European countries, right? Well, if you look at certain money laundering watchdog groups, and they, um, many of them have lists where they rank countries for their uh, financial secrecy, and, and the U.S. ranks pretty high for um, not being very transparent. Um, we have tax, tax havens right in the U.S., and a, a tax haven is the name given to a, um, a country or a jurisdiction where People and companies are taxed at very low rates or even non-existent rates, um, where there are laws in place that really ensure the confidentiality of people who open these offshore shell companies. And the U.S. has that in Nevada. It has that in in Delaware, um, which has very um, has laws that are very friendly to corporations. And it's really easy to open an offshore company in Delaware. Actually, there was a fusion reporter last week who opened one in the name of her cat. Um, because it's, the, the process is so anonymous that it doesn't have to be for a human being. Um, but I think what people thought when they saw the news from this leak is that, you know, dozens of politicians and officials from more than 50 countries are named in these leaks. And some of these countries are known to have problems with fraud and crime by individuals in the government, but others are not, like Iceland and France and Chile. So I think that people will look at this and go, Wow, the the potential for corruption knows no country. It's so widespread that to kind of pin this on European countries doesn't really make sense. I think that's a great point. You know, I find it funny, Alyssa, you mentioned that Wall Street Journal article, but we know, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and from a great book that I read, by the way, on called Runaway Inequality from Les Leopold, um, they mentioned that the gap between CEOs and regular workers is at 844 to 1. So for every $1 someone makes it per hour, a CEO makes $844 per hour. Companies and corporations are making more money than ever before, so I just don't see taxes being a deterrent to them. What, what I do want to ask you, Marina, and in relation to this is, have we seen all the information from these Panama Papers? Will more things be coming out in the future? And if so, is there something we should be looking out for? Right. Well, so only, a, I would say a handful, maybe two handfuls of stories have come out in the last week. And again, it's only been one week. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, the fallout was most deeply felt in Iceland, where the prime minister um, was alleged to have had set up a company with millions of dollars. And um, that story came out on Sunday. On Monday, 8,000 people had come out to protest that in Iceland's capital. And it's important to remember that the population of Iceland is just over 300,000. So 8,000 people uh, coming out in a very otherwise peaceful country, but uh, you know, for them it's maddening because they're just coming out of a financial crisis. For that many people to come out a day after these leaks come out and then force the resignation of the prime minister, that's huge. So I think... What we're going to be looking for the next few weeks is public response to information that comes out about their world leaders. And we're already seeing that in um, Britain, 
So David Cameron has acknowledged that he had a stake in his father's offshore trust, um, but he says that he sold it before he became prime minister. But already this week you're seeing that thousands of people are coming out to protest in London. Right. No, that's, that's that's really true. So before we go to a quick break, I just wanted to ask you, you had mentioned earlier that um, the news media, a lot of different news media organizations got this information about a year ago. And for about a year, uh, people have been working in teams to sift through, I guess, two point four terabytes or something of, of documents, which is a lot of documents uh, as an attorney who goes through documents and gets document dumps all all the time. That's just a lot of documents. I don't think people realize this scale of it. How is it that these teams of news organizations did so well to keep this information secret for the past year to sort through it and that none of this information was leaked? Um, Because you'd think in this big of a document dump, somebody even within the news organizations might have might have talked. So how is it that that this information was able to be kept so secret for so long for people to go through it before finally the news decided to to be broken, essentially? Right. Well, I believe there was an understanding between the news organizations involved that they would just work in complete secrecy, you know, much like these foreign individuals and investors have been doing, and that they would respect any embargoes, and that this story was much bigger than any one news organization. And if one person defects, um, it could all come crumbling down. And I think, honestly, it took the reason that nothing came out was because it took so long to even figure out what was there. Um, these reporters had to essentially build a searchable database to make sure that, to even scan these emails and PDF files and photo files and make it searchable. Um, so I think by the time they realized what the patterns were, then it sped up from there and the story came out soon after. That is extremely impressive and really talks about the hard work that journalists do and they don't get paid well enough for. But guys, we do have to go on a quick break. Marina, hang in there with us. When we come back, we will continue this conversation and start to talk about how people can push back and if the fallout will be legitimate or if it'll be something that's just a flash in the bucket. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard and this is Kehlani in the background. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't tell you another, baby, I'll show it, show it. Vladimir Putin acting funny. <laughs> Corporations good. got all of those tax breaks. But last year I paid like seven G's. <laughs> we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Selena Hill and Alyssa, mother loving lawyer Fuchs, because she's smart like that, just like Selena. And this is the 5 to and under show because apparently all the powerful women are 5 to and under. Yes. And Hashtag not a tax lawyer. Not a tax lawyer. <laughs> By the way, guys, we are talking about the Panama Papers. If you are wondering what that is, well, pretty much. This a whole bunch of information leaked out showing super corporations and the super wealthy hiding money from people and from Are the you government. Surprised? You shouldn't I'm be. not surprised. And we have the amazing Marina Coring helping us with this conversation. The next segment we will be talking about tax policy and the 2016 election because you know what? It actually is legitimate. It makes sense. What if Bernie becomes president and raises taxes and now I have to hide my seven dollars a year in a shell corporation to protect myself? But say <laughs> Don't worry, we'll set one of those up for you in Delaware. Yeah, there we go. Save Save your questions because we will have answers to them or I won't have answers to them. Marina will because she's way smarter than I am. So to say all that, I want to bring it back to Selena who has a question for Marina. Yes. And if you guys have questions too, you should call in. The number is 212-650-6903. And you should tweet us at Be Heard. Underscore. Radio. Oh, oh yeah. All right, guys. So, okay. So, Marina, um, so the law firm in Panama actually said that they're doing nothing wrong. They, they released a statement um, saying that, you know, 
this is perfectly legal and it's okay. But criminals are also using the law firm to hide money. So, you know, the way I look at it is the system itself is supporting criminals. So if you're an elected official or a world leader, a world leader or someone who makes money um, le- the legal way, but you're supporting the system, to me, that's morally unethical. Are there any legitimate arguments that this law firm um, and the people using it possibly cross legal grounds? Okay, well, that's so, again, it's very, it's perfectly legitimate for people to have these kinds of, um, these kinds of companies, right? And, and people who do have them can declare them to their tax authorities when that's required. But as we saw in these cases, a bunch of these people did not. But it's not hard to use these companies very quickly to exploit the financial perks provided in tax havens to engage in money laundering. So I think that there are obviously legitimate reasons to have these companies. I personally cannot think of them because I do not have that much money to, to be like, okay, maybe I'll open this company. But um, Mossack Fonseca and companies like it allow these world leaders and these politicians to stay just inside the right side of the law. So it's a very murky area. It's just very murky in terms of morality in these types of tax havens. And I want to jump really in for just settle. one second because I, there was a great article in Vox.com which talks about some legal reasons why a corporation might want a shell company. So they used Apple, for example, who they started this company called 678, um, not to be confused with... Um, Betty Wop, 678's crew, <laughs> 679's crew. But anyways, pr- what Apple is trying to do is they're, like, starting to do research to build a car. They don't want anyone to know that yet, so they started this corporation to build it under where you don't really have to, like, reveal who's the owner behind it. And obviously, Apple's so big, everyone knows. Like, so when 678 popped up at, like, an auto industry meeting, everyone was like, oh, look, there goes Apple. But that's why some corporations might do it for a legitimate reason. And also, we have a really cool um, explainer that I'm going to play at the end of the show for you guys who still have not gotten it. <laughs> but um, go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah, question. no, I actually, it's not a question. I just wanted to make a comment about that, about this. Like, well, there, one, there's a difference between morality and crime, right? Just because something's not illegal doesn't necessarily mean that it's immoral yeah, or that it's moral. Right. So, you know, you have this situation where these p- leaders in other countries of the world, they may not necessarily be breaking the law, but what they're doing by taking their, you know, taxing their people at this rate, but not paying the same rate themselves by, use, you know, because using their power and their wealth in order to do these things. And even if that's not illegal, it still is immoral. But the second thing that I wanted to mention specifically about uh, Mossack, that's the name of this firm? Mossack. Mossack, which is, I mean, and I don't know what the rules are in Panama, but in a America, if, you know, a lawyer, there's a thing that's called the crime fraud exception, right, which is that lawyers have to keep things confidential, except when a client tries to use you or use your law firm to commit a crime. Now, in America, that means you can actually break your privilege and break your confidentiality to expose a crime if somebody tries to use your firm or you as a lawyer to, to commit a crime through you. I don't know how that actually applies in Panama. I'd be interested to know. Um, but, you know, like I said, what they're doing not may not always be illegal. Or in Panama, it may they may be breaking a law in Europe or in China or in Asia or somewhere else, but they may not necessarily be breaking laws under Panama. So it becomes this weird mixed gray area where you sort of have different laws of different countries working together. And you can say, okay, well, you know, by doing this, you may be doing, it may be perfectly legal under Panamanian law, but it still may violate the law in the country that you're actually from. That's something that we definitely want to make sure we get the answer for, guys. So we might not get it by the end of the show, but we'll definitely have some more information about the Panama Papers on our website, LYV 
WBH.com. Selena, I know you had a question for no, Marina. No, no, no. I wanted to actually hear her response to that, if any. Oh, Marina, do you have a response to Alyssa's comment? Yeah, well, that's a great point, just how muddled this is, because um, one story that came out of the leaks uh, showed that Mossack Fonseca actually worked with oil companies owned by Iran, despite international sanctions against the country. Now, Mossack would say, you know, as soon as we learn that, we would cut ties, but there's no real way to know if that's actually the case. So there's just so many jurisdictions involved, and many of them are just hiding under Panama's flag, exactly what she said. Right. Yeah, wow. that's what I suspected. So I have a question more so about the blowback now. So we saw that Iceland's president was forced to resign. And mm-hmm. we're seeing some protests happening in other places now. And people are getting excited because they're saying, wow, finally we have the proof and now people can strike back. But will this really be a legitimate pushback? Or, or like, and, and if we get a bunch of people to resign, does that really solve the problem? Well, it really depends on what country you're in, right? Um, You're seeing in the U.K. and in Iceland world leaders responding to this leak. But in Russia and China, you won't see any of that. Um, Putin has unsurprisingly uh, denied any wrongdoing. Um, And so have um, the leaders of China, uh, because the leak showed that family members of the uh, China Communist Party elite had offshore companies. And actually, this past week, the word Panama was a highly censored term on social media in China. So it all depends on which country you're in, like how much fallout there's going to be. Um, And I saw on Sunday night when these stories were coming out, some people were saying, you know, well, so what? Why does this matter? What's new about this? This is just very rich people doing very rich things. But if it were not for leaks like the Panama Papers, most of the public would have no idea that so much tax avoidance is possible and on such a big scale. And that's that it's entirely legal. Uh, one of my colleagues wrote a story this past week saying that the real scandal is what's legal. Right. Um, exactly. So, right, I think that this is really going to shine a light on the legal frameworks that we have in place. And it's it's pretty amazing to see world leaders, even in non-democratic countries, responding to an angry or curious public based on a leak published by some journalists. That's very true. And just I know Alyssa had some a question to ask, but I just want to give some some background about like some of the info we have about leaders. So what we know is Vladimir Putin's inner circle appears to control about two billion worth of offshore assets. The the Prime Minister of Iceland secretly owned a debt of failed Iceland banks, um, over like five million dollars. The family of Pakistan Prime Minister owns millions of dollars of, of real estate um in an offshore account, and Ukrainian president Petro Poroshenko pledged to sell his Ukrainian business interests during his campaign, but appeared to instead have just transferred them to an offshore company. Of course, he claims he didn't know that that's what was done, that it was his lawyer's fault. But we're not going to talk about that. Alyssa? It's interesting that in these more authoritarian countries like China and Russia, that rather than deal with the actual wrongdoing by the leaders themselves, they've just censored the words like Panama. They've just basically clamped down on free speech and said, well, you know, if we don't allow you to talk about it, then it's not happening. Um, is isn't that just great? You know, it's the, the the Vladimir Putin thing interests me, though, because he actually came out and said that officials and state agencies in the United States are behind all this. And that's a direct quote. And so I wanted to ask you, Marina, um, you know, obviously that doesn't really surprise me that Vladimir Putin said that. But uh, is there any could there be any truth to the fact that U.S. officials being behind that? Or is Vladimir Putin just blowing smoke because, you know, that's what Vladimir Putin does, which is blame America for all, all of his own problems? Right. Yeah. Well, that's just a very, very, like you said, common talking point from Putin. This is just a Russian bear battling the West. Um, so it's not surprising that he would blame the U.S., but it's also pretty convenient that the U.S. so far hasn't been implicated um, in these papers. So Putin can point to that and be like, well, why aren't they named? They must be behind it. 
Um, but that's just more a selling point to the Russian people um, and not, not much more than that, I think. But again, I don't have access to these leaks and it's a huge amount of stuff. Um, I'm not sure what else is in there. That's a pretty good point that the Americans have not been implicated so far. Alina? And also, like, what Marina just touched upon, like, we didn't have access to it. Why was it that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, there were no U.S.-based journalists given prim- uh, uh, preliminary access to it, whereas everyone else was? Yeah, that's a good question. I I imagine that it might be because so many of the people implicated were not from the U.S., um, but I also saw one of the reporters who did have access to the leak say that some U.S. publications haven't really historically been good about maintaining embargoes. Um, and that was a little bit of a dig at the U.S. papers. And maybe they were worried about it coming out, you know, one paper going rogue and releasing information that wasn't ready for prime time. Thank you for that, Marina, because you give me a chance to step onto a soapbox. And let's talk about the American <laughs> media establishment. Now, The Atlantic is one of my favorite publications, so I'm going to be pretty biased and say that you guys have done a really good job of like giving honest journalism and great thoughtful opinions that also come backed up with facts and, you know, sources, so on and so forth. But if this information would have been leaked to the U.S. media, what, do you, what are the chances that all this information would have come out? Do you think there was a chance of some censoring or whitewashing? Um, I'm not, that's a good question. I think that the U.S. would have a really hard time doing that. Um, and I'm going to shamelessly plug a quote by Obama about an Atlantic story we recently wrote about his um, foreign policy decisions that Jeffrey Goldberg wrote for The Atlantic. Um, Putin, in a conversation with Obama, said, you know, I didn't really agree with what you said in the story. And Obama said, well, unlike you, Vladimir, I don't get to edit the piece before it goes out. So obviously the U.S. is in a very different position. I'm not sure. They would definitely try to control the story as they would with any, you know, as any nation would with a damaging story. Um, But it wouldn't be on the scale of what's happening in Russia, which is complete, like, blanket coverage of not this in Russian media. Right, guys. And again, if you have a question or a comment, you can call in at 212-650-6903 and keep those tweets coming at BeHeard underscore radio. Thank you for mentioning that, Selena. So we have a call online, but I know you also had a tweet. So can you read the tweet? Then we'll get to the caller. Ad service. Can't get the tweet right now. Give All me a minute. Right, so if you guys want to help us get better internet service, donate to WHCR <laughs> at WHCR.org. Go to donate in our name. and put it in our name. Let your voice be heard. But while we do have some space for commenters, we do have David on the line. David, if I got your name wrong, forgive me, and you can punch me in the air later on. But let your voice be heard. Hey, well, appreciate it. And, yeah, it could be David or Daoud or David, whichever. Hey, you know, uh, I'm a big 1776 kind of fan. And uh, right now when I hear about the financial scandals that are going on, I'm reminded that in 1812, uh, the British had counterfeited our, you know, the continental dollar so badly that nobody could trust it anymore. And uh, in fact, George Washington was starving there at Valley Forge because nobody co- trusted the continental. So they just got out the printing press, came up with a new design, and it was called the New American Tenor. So it would seem to me that with all of the financial fraud that's going on and the, the projects that we need to work on, we need to just create a new uh, new money that we can trust. That, and that actually makes the rich broke. They have to start over. We're already broke. 
Well, that, yeah, I'm very broke. I'm so broke I can't pay attention. That's like a very interesting concept. It really sure. is. Definitely appreciate um, you leaving that 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 comment again, guys. You can call in two one two six five zero six nine zero three. David David Dowd called all the way from San Francisco, guys. If you have not been to San Francisco, I love it. Oh I my love God, San I love Francisco it. too. Alyssa. So. Um, now you got me thinking about San Francisco. Uh, so, you know, the la- before we close out this segment, we've done a lot of talking about global corruption and greed and, and the legality. I just want to turn for a second to talk about Masak Fonseca for a second. Um, you know, there's a really great article in The Guardian about how the firm really won't discuss any specific cases of wrongdoing. It cites its client confidentiality, but it's very robustly defending its con- conduct, saying it complies with all anti-money laundering laws and it can carries out due diligence on its clients and, you know, X, Y, Z. So here's my real question and final question for you, Marina. I mean, how could such a big cyber hack like this happen to a firm like Massac? And I mean, like, who is potentially behind the, the hack itself? Well, my understanding is that they're saying it's a hack. I haven't seen reports saying that it's not a hack. So I'm not sure if it was an actual cyber attack or if it was someone within the company who decided to release that information. Sort of like um, Edward Snowden type? Exactly, right. And so, and first of all, this leak is much, much bigger than that. It eclipses in size the WikiLeaks release in 2010 of those um, American diplomatic cables, and it, it's much bigger than the Snowden disclosures back in 2013. Wow. Um, yeah, I, and, it, and the untold number of stories emerged from those leaks and continue to pour out today. And so if you consider that these documents for thousands of these corporate structures, and I believe it's 214,000 companies or entities that are named in these leaks, that comes from a single law firm from a single country considered a tax haven. Um, So it's safe to say that this is only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, And in terms of how easy it is to hack this company, um, well, the U.S. government got hacked um, a year or two ago, you know, OPM, the um, Human Resources Mm -hmm. Department, and that was a... That was a federal government. Mm. So I'm not sure what kind of um, protections Mossack Fonseca has in place, but if governments can get hacked, so can private law firms. I heard their password was 123Kitty. <laughs> That's <laughs> why. Speak, before we close this out, speaking of Edward Snowden, I know we both just mentioned him. He actually put out a statement after the leak, and he said, and I quote, with scandals in Russia, China, the U.K., Iceland, Ukraine, and more, perhaps a new rule. If you're in charge of a country, keep your money in it. Mm, makes sense to me. <laughs> makes too much sense, actually. That's why it doesn't happen enough. Stanley? Um, so, Marina, just um, really quickly before we let you go, please let the listeners know how they can find more of your work and they can learn more about the Panama Mother Loving Papers. Uh, well, definitely go to theatlantic.com where uh, we're definitely going to be tracking this story and um, telling you, you know, what's important and what things mean as these journalists release these stories. There's going to be more to come and more people implicated, I imagine. So definitely check out theatlantic.com. Thank you very much for that, Marina, and thank you so much for calling into the show today. Marina has great articles on The Atlantic. Please make sure you follow her on Twitter and you read her articles. Marina, thanks so much for coming into the show. Don't be surprised if we call you again to come back another day. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. Anytime. So, guys, I want to wrap this segment up and just kind of close out this conversation very familiar to the way that I started it, and it's very simple. Why you all, well, not maybe all of you, but many people have been mad about Jackie and Jason and Jimmy and um, Jerome and Maria and Chet 
because they're asking for $15 an hour. There are corporations, there are presidents, there are prime ministers right now who, instead of paying their fair share in taxes, are actually hiding their money offshore. Why you are mad because someone who you claim to be illegal, even though there's no such thing as an illegal human being, is not paying quote-unquote taxes, even though they pay taxes in all different ways, like sales taxes, just to give you one example, or all those taxes they give you when you were trying to get your citizenship. While you're mad at them, there is a corporation or a super wealthy person right now like Donald Trump who is not paying taxes because they are hiding their money on an offshore account or just an off-state account like in Delaware or in Nevada. And they're not just hiding 10, 20, 50, 60, 70 dollars. They're not just hiding 10, 15, 25, um, 75, 100 thousand dollars. No, they are hiding millions and in some cases billions of dollars that could be being pumped right back into our tax system or could be being used to pay people a living wage or could be being used to pay journalists who do amazing work like this all the time a decent salary and not just offering people these quote-unquote consultant freelancing jobs where they get paid minimum wage with no benefits and then are told to work crazy hours the biggest thing that you should get from this particular episode and this show and this conversation is that the system is grossly rigged and the best way for the system to stay rigged and succeed is for us to fight each other over the table scraps while the big shots all the way above us are counting their money and smiling because it's all about the money it's always been all about the money it's not about the american way it's not about equality it's not about you it's not about me it's all about the money so if you care and you want to change things start shouting start changing until then it's going to be about this Okay, guys, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on this bright but cold and brisky Sunday morning here in Harlem. So, again, my name is Selena Hill. We have Stanley Fritz on the ones and twos and Alyssa Fuchs dropping that science and legal knowledge. What? Science? Yeah, like oh, si- political science. I see. No, like, you know, like, like the, like a slang term. What, what, like wh- science, like you just drop science, you just drop math. Who you math? Yes, what? but science is not they a slang. They say term. Stanley, that's not slang. Where in South Oldham Park, Queens? <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Not, you know who cares about South Oldham Park, Queens? No you one. You need to. All right. Anyway, anyway, let's just bring it back. All right. So Stanley's just played formation, and I was in a good mindset before huh. he started talking. Oh, right. I got a really interesting news story. I want oh, to yeah. jump in with right here. Well, so. actually, I'm going to start it off because. All right, and again, guys, if you are if you are listening and you have a Fun story, something that irked you, and you want to chime in. The number is 212-650-6903. So I was talking about Beyonce formation, and that's because we all need to salute and bow down to the queen. She has started her own athletic wear line, and she didn't even, like, partner. Like, she's she partnered with Topshot, but it's, like, a 50-50% ownership. So she's not just endorsing a line. Like, people, um, like, I think, like, Rihanna, like, she's doing with Puma, and, like, you have other celebrities that endorse, um, you know, different things and products so beyonce is actually owning it i mean we just have to take our hats off she named the line after her daughter blue ivy and i mean it's it's so popular already i can't wait for it to drop and i think that you know more than likely i think we're all going to be wearing that new line it's ivy park so definitely look out for that just want to Make sure you guys are looking out for that. Interesting. So here's something uh, <laughs> to that's really important, and it's about Merrick Garland. No, I mean, a black woman doing her thing in business is important. I'm well, not saying it's not. Lululemon, a.k.a. White Girl Yoga Pants, actually tried to send for her on Twitter, and the beehive went crazy. What she said? And dragged them. They were just like, imitation is the best form of flattery. I 
go on. And the beehive just destroyed them. So, Selena, we acknowledge your article. <laughs> Alyssa, real stuff. All right, yes. So I wanted to give you an update on what's going on with the Merrick Garland nomination. Um, and the update really is nothing's going on. The Senate still is not doing their job. But... But, 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 there's a very interesting article this morning in the Washington Post. It's written by a lawyer, Gregory Discant. He is a lawyer with the firm Patterson, Belknap, Webb, and Tyler. That is a very big firm. If you don't know who they are, they're a fancy big firm. Anyways, um, so he says, he wrote in the article this morning that the advice and consent clause of the Constitution says that, like, the Senate has to advise and consent, but that... Essentially, the president can give them the opportunity to do that. And if they don't, that just like in law, like if you don't answer certain legal papers by a certain period of time, you are right to answer those papers. It's considered waived. You literally waive your right to respond to certain papers. So what he writes is that the president has nominated Merrick Garland. He submitted his nomination to the Senate that the president should advise the Senate. He will that it will deem sorry that the president will deem the Senate's failure to act by a specified reasonable date in the future to constitute a deliberate waiver of the right to give advice and consent and that the the date would be chosen based on the historical average um the longest wait has been 125 days the short the historical address is uh the sorry historical average uh, is about 25 days and so that suggests that a 90-day window would be a perfectly reasonable amount of time for the senate to consider garlic's garland's nomination otherwise obama could conclude after 90 days that the senate senate has actually waived its right to participate under the Constitution and could exercise his power to name Garland to the Supreme Court without the Senate ever taking a vote. So that is a very interesting uh, proposal. It is different than the president making a recess appointment when the Senate is not actually in session. It's literally him saying... You guys have 90 days to take a, you know, hold hearings and take a vote. And if you don't do it in 90 days, then you, I'm going to deem it a waiver and I'm going to appoint him without your advice and consent because you will have waived your ability to or waived your role as advisor and consent. So. That's really cool. But here's my thing. The only reason I liked Merrick Garland as a pick was because I thought that he wouldn't get through and right. then we'd actually get someone we liked. Yeah, so this, <laughs> I thought that was the strategy yeah. behind it. Well, it is it is partially the strategy behind it. But at the same time, um, the court is actually, you know, suffering, not yes, having an, another yeah. member. So, right. like, yes, of course, you and I both would have liked somebody more liberal. And yeah. you and I both are proceeding from the presumption that the Democrat is going to maybe win the White House or yeah. it's likely the Democrat's going to win the White House and, and Hillary or Bernie no matter who it is, would appoint somebody that's more liberal than Merrick Garland. But at the same time, you also have to consider that right now the Supreme Court is like really it, it's operating shorthanded. And, yeah. and while we've had good outcomes in the union case and, you know, one person, the one, one, person one vote, yeah. like if remember that the Fifth Circuit case, the abortion case, the Fifth Circuit upheld the state's right to put those laws into place. So if that comes down as a 4-4 split, that's going to mean if you live in Texas, in Mississippi, or in Alabama, you're operating under one set of abortion laws, whereas if you live in New York or somewhere like in the Second Circuit, you're going to be operating under a whole different set. And so right now it seems like, okay, this is not such a big deal, but it is a big deal. We need nine people on the court. The court doesn't function properly without nine people. You know what? That's a really good point, Alyssa. Thank you so much for saying that. And just to talk about what happens when you have you don't have nine people. Well, I guess 
this system has been this hasn't been a negative impact, but Supreme Court just made another decision on one person one vote, and they voted against the um against Abbott. So what the one person one vote would have done was right no, now they wrote, they voted in favor of Abbott. Abbott was the oh. state in that case. Oh, oh, pardon me, pardon me. Uh, Evantel was the plaintiffs. I did a quickie on this. Right, you can go listen to it. Yeah. Evantel was the plaintiffs. They were suing Abbott, who's the governor, yeah. because they were saying that the state should have counted only eligible voters, so registered voters, and. The Supreme Court said, no, the way Texas did it was okay. They, counting all the voters was okay. But they didn't go as far to say that if Texas would have done it the other way, what yes. if that would have been okay. And that is going to remain an open question, which is eventually going to go back to the court. Yep. Even more important, why we need to have nine members. So, right. guys, um, I, w- I have a conversation I want us to have about Bernie Sanders, Daily News at a Board, Daily News editorial board interview and something you said about Hillary. So do you do we have any other news stories we want to get to before then? <laughs> I'm like I'm actually giving like like you're like like look guys get them out the way now. We need to talk about Bernie. No seriously, I've, I've been yeah. holding on to this. Any other hey, news stories? Let's talk to... Bernie. All right, so I'm going to start off with the Daily News editorial board meeting. So as someone who's feeling the burn and who was at his event yesterday, oh god, like stop Selena, bragging. I was just mentioning it for our listeners. <laughs> I was very disappointed when I read the Bernie Sanders editorial board interview with the Daily News. He could not answer questions about like his main po- like his main policy positions on banking. So j- because I don't want to butcher it more or less one of the questions the Daily News editorial board member asked them was, so say you'd find this way to punish the banks for what they did, and the Supreme Court pushes back and say, no, you can't do that. Then what do you do? And he said, I honestly hadn't thought about that. That's mm. an interesting question, and it's something that, I mean, here's the question, though. I wonder what Hillary's response would be to that question. She because, would have had one. Uh, you, you're making that presumption. Yeah. On, on, like, you know, I, that's the thing when we're talking about these two candidates is mm-hmm. I like to see a single question asked and an answer that is a response from both of them. So so that we can compare and contrast their right. positions. And well, so when Bernie is asked a question and gives an answer and we're like, OK, yeah, that's not really a great answer. He doesn't really have a plan. Then you want to know what Hillary's plan would be. But what? I don't even want to say something, Selena, but this is not like we're asking him a question about, you know, how he feels about the equator. This is like his number one. <laughs> no. And what I mean by that is like this is not like a fifth or sixth level issue. This is his priority issue. And this is not back in Iowa caucus when it's still the beginning of the campaign. This is deep into the campaign. You have to have those kind of answers. Selena. And you're speaking as a Bernie supporter, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Alyssa, you know, makes a good point. You know, they'll both be debating here in Brooklyn on Thursday, God willing. And, you know, I'll be watching hopefully there. I don't know yet, Alyssa. But I think that, um, you know, you do need to to be you need to be prepared. And it's funny that I think Alyssa said that she thinks Hillary Clinton wouldn't have had an answer. Do you? I I didn't say I think she wouldn't have. She said you don't know. I think I don't know whether or not she would have had an answer. I need to go for that. Here's what a friend of mine said to me. And she's a Hillary supporter on full disclosure. She said Hillary faced the Republican Party in a hearing for, I think, eight hours and didn't flinch Bernie Sanders couldn't get through an editorial board meeting that's very true yeah, the stakes were much higher right, right. and no. this is like he's had plenty of times plenty of time to think about this because this is not like some faraway question that you wouldn't think about right, this is a real thing issue. Supreme Court could push back on your decision so what do you do and you don't have a plan B <laughs> not like what's that that's that's very problematic to me and then he at one point in an interview, he said, oh, you know, I would break up the banks. And later on, he said, I wouldn't break up the banks. I can't do that. I'm not a dictator. Then they said, how would you do it? And he said he would use Dodd-Frank. But you can't use Dodd-Frank to break up the banks. So what was he saying? I would suggest, <laughs> I would suggest reading the interview. Like the, 
the passionate part, the reason that I love him, when he talks about how unfair this right. is and why he wants to fight mm. was great. But he didn't have a solid answer on how he was going to do what he said he would do. You know what? That brings up a great point because Bernie Sanders also last week called Hillary Clinton unqualified. But if you think about how he responded to this to this interview, it seems like he's maybe a little bit more underprepared than he needs to be for the presidency if he was to step I mean, into office tomorrow. But just like on the other hand of that is like compared to the people that are running on the Republican side, both Bernie and Hillary are supremely qualified to lead this country. And that's why... Like as a, uh, and I'm gonna be like I I like Bernie. Right. I'm gonna probably vote for Bernie next week in the yeah. primary. Um, but you know what? Like I'm I like. And I do think that there are issues with Hillary, um, you know, things that I don't necessarily agree with her on. But there's things I don't agree with Obama on. So it's like, and that's the other thing, which is people I'm sort of finding, like, have created this artificial standard where if Obama does it and Hillary says the same exact thing, they're like, boo on Hillary. But I'm like, but Obama supported that policy. And they like, and they love, well, no, not the crime bill. But like, um, I'll give you an example about, I'm trying to think of something. No, taking money from Wall Street. Okay. Obama has taken an immense amount of money for Wall Street. And I've heard a lot from Bernie supporters saying, oh, well, I'm not going to vote for Hillary because she takes money from Wall Street. And and then I'm like, did you vote for Obama twice? Yeah. And some people (laughs) have said to me, yeah, but I wouldn't vote for Obama a third time if I, like if that was an option because yeah. of the fact I'm not happy. And that's fine. Yeah. If you're like, yeah, I voted for him twice, but you know, now that I've looked at it in retrospect, I wouldn't have done that because he did take a lot of money from Wall Street. That's fine. But if your response is just like, oh, um, you know, and like you don't know how if your response is not, yeah, but I wouldn't have if I would have known that then yeah. or then that's fine. That's a perfect fine response. But if your response is I don't know how to respond to that, then you literally have created this double standard that is absolutely arbitrary. But here's what is that double standard and this is what I think because there's some serious grievances to have against Hillary Clinton but a lot of the anger towards Hillary Clinton because let's think about a year and a half earlier whenever she went to go speak somewhere everyone was falling over themselves to tell her to run but now all of a sudden there's this anger about her not being honest it's a a pretty much a conservative marketing tactic that the people from the left have sunken into because I put up a post yesterday about the crime bill that freaking Joe Biden wrote that the entire black caucus signed off on that the public was very open to and pushing for because we did have right. a serious crime problem in the late 80s, early 90s. And Hillary and it, but like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton are the only ones being punished for it. Right. And Bill Clinton apologized for the crime bill years ago. And Hillary shouldn't be forced to because she wasn't president. She was in no position of power. The super predator um, comment, yes. But people can evolve on issues and people say dumb things. But I asked the question, why are people mad at her? And no one can answer it. They just kept talking about how much they hated Hillary. Well, I, I think that it's because sh- the spotlight is on her now, right? We want to yeah. know what your position was, how you evolved, yeah. what made you change your stance on this, and, and which really led to mass incarceration of black and brown people in our communities yeah. and, and, and a, a lot of detriment. So, I mean, I think that it's fair to put the spotlight on her because it was her husband. Guys, if you want to call in and chime in about this Hillary versus Bernie mm-hmm. debate we're having as as both candidates are here in New York, you can call in at 212-650-6903. And you can tweet us. So I have a little internet service again, guys. So you can tweet us at beheard underscore radio. I just wanted to mention that we actually did an entire segment on the 1994 crime bill. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, you should definitely go to www.lyvbh.com. Go to our archive shows. You can find the 94 crime bill show. You can also check us out on iTunes podcast, LYVBH radio, and on Stitcher for Android. 
Android platforms. And we'll be on um, iHeartRadio I in a couple of weeks as well. iHeart, really? Well, that, that was news to me. Um, guys, and yeah, guys, so definitely call in with those comments and questions. I mean, well, the thing is, I think that if you also take another stance when you, we're looking at, you know, Bernie versus Hillary, we're all here looking at it from a very liberal perspective. And I will admit that when... Hillary first jumped in the race and Bernie did. I was all for her. I was with her. But then I was just like, okay, Bernie Sanders, he's cute and all, and he's going to help her lean to the left, but he's really not going to make it. But now you see the momentum. I mean, he's won, I think, eight out of the nine last caucuses. He really has a chance. And and he might even win here in New York. What are you, what are you predicting? He's down by 12 in the polls at the moment. He's won a lot of these elections, but... If Hillary wins New York, that's more delegates than Bernie would have gotten from Washington and these other places. Right, that's you right. gotta look at the delegate counts, yeah, and Hillary right. has more overall voters. However, we do have a caller on it on the line, Miss Deborah. I want to make sure she gets a chance to let her voice be heard, Miss Deborah. Hi guys, how are you today? We're good Morning. so far. Listen, I'm not, I, you know, I, there's nobody, absolutely nobody, that I would like to see for president. I, I, I can't think of the last time that I could honestly say, hmm. Well, I don't like this one, but maybe I can tolerate that one for four years or eight years. I can't see, I can't find anybody. Mm. And Bill Clinton said, it's it's two for the price of one, like he said before. Well, now he's flipping the script. So it's two for the price of one. He's saying to this group of young people what Hillary would like to say, but it wouldn't have come out right. That's the reason why. And he was wrong. He put people in jail for things and locked them up for long periods of time. What's the name of that that, that bill that he was putting, uh, throwing people in jail who didn't pay their, um, their, 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 um, like when they didn't pay money for their children's. I don't think that was Bill Clinton, was it? Was I'm it the, wa- sure. the welfare reform? It was welfare no, reform, actually. It was some, because. It's something if- else. It's something else. But, you know, when I, 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 I don't really want to say what I really want to say, but <laughs> all I can say is that I've been doing a lot of reading about Bill Clinton, and he is the last person in the world that should be talking about anybody with drugs or anything else. That's all I'm going to say. Mm. Thank you very and much, Mr. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for that. I do know. I think that's an interesting comment that there's not anybody good for vote. I've had I've heard a lot of people say that. I think that's a fair position to say I don't like any of the candidates, and I think that's fine. Um, you know, at the same time, like I hate to be one of those people that's like the lesser of two evils, yeah. but at this, like, it's like you can really strongly dislike Hillary Clinton, as it sounds like Miss Deborah does, and you can still look at that and be like. Would I rather have Donald Trump in the White House? Yeah, you exactly. know, and 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 that to me, and like me in any other election year, maybe if Donald Trump wasn't running and you had a little bit more sane or moderate characters on the right, you might say, you know what. I don't like anybody. I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to say, you know, lesser of two evils. I'm not going to go out and vote for this person that I strongly dislike to just to keep somebody else out of the White House. But this year, we're sort of seeing that. And a lot of a lot of people on the left specifically don't like being told, like, you know, go out and support the Democrat, go out and support the candidate. They don't. There's a large group of people that are like, if Bernie doesn't get the nomination, I'm going to stay home, which I personally think is stupid. But like in at the same time, you also have to look at like, who are the Republicans running this time around? And it's Donald 
freaking crazy <laughs> Trump. Like, and like, Ted lived life by the Bible, and I'm creepy Cruz. So it's like, you know, you have to look at your options and be like, would I rather have Hillary in the White House or would I rather have one of them? And to me, like having Hillary in the White House, even though it's not particularly what I would want, it's right. still way better than having of any course. of them. All right, guys, so we do have to go on a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about tax policy and the 2016 election. So more Obama, Hillary, Bernie, and your dollars. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We are all about the Benjamins today. On the low from the Jake and the Taurus, trying to get my hands on some grants like Horace. Yeah, living the raw deal. Three-course meal, spaghetti, fettuccine, and veal. But still, everything's real. There's hundreds of fun and simple things you and your family can do to live a healthier lifestyle. Here's 20 of them. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. That was more money, more problems, because when you're in America and you don't make $5 million a year, when you get taxed, it's more money, more problems, more taxes taken from you. But anyways, I just want to shout out Miss Deborah, who called us again off air and mentioned a book that you re- listeners might be interested in. It's called The Clinton's War on Women. Mm. Now, she says that, like, you know, she doesn't know if all the information is 100% refutable, but it's still a very interesting read. So, guys, please, if you have a moment, check that out. Go to your local bookstore, Sis's Bookstore right there on 157th or Uptown Bookstore on 164th. Support local black bookstores. Selena? Definitely. So we started off the show talking about how world leaders, especially in Europe, have been avoiding paying their fair share of taxes. Um, They're taking money from the country, but then they're storing it in Panama, obviously, and um, so that they don't have to pay taxes, right? But you know what? That's happening here in the U.S., and it's been happening for decades now. And there's actually been a surge, too. A lot of uh, multinational companies are doing the same thing. You have the millionaires and the billionaires that Bernie Sanders is always talking about. They do the same exact thing. Meanwhile, people like you and I, we're scrambling trying to get our tax papers together for tax day. And, like, you know, it's just a different world for us. It's like we're living in reality and they're living in some type of fantasy. So we're going to continue the conversation here all about tax day tax policy and tax justice so the u.s treasury department recently presented new rules that prevented pfizer which is the giant drug company best known for viagra from (laughs) merging right if you didn't know right just think viagra from merging with a pharmaceutical company in ireland called algergan algergan Allergan. Allergan. So Pfeiffer's plan was to keep its global operational headquarters here in New York and move its principal executive offices to Ireland. This would have saved Pfizer $35 billion with a B in U.S. taxes. You know, taxes that that pay for things that help Americans. Mm-hmm. Corporations are people, too. No, <laughs> I'm so glad you said that, Stanley, because, I, I, you know, people that defend them, especially elected officials, they use arguments but like that. But, you know, that. it's the guy getting $15 minimum wage that's really affecting your bottom line. Hey, that's what we should all be fighting and protesting and picketing against the person in McDonald's who's finally going to get a, a raise, right? Yeah, it's so sh- that they can live a living wage. Right, and pay for food for their children, right? And then we f- complain that those type of people, with quotes, are always, you know, using government subsidies or on government welfare plans. But if we, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to complain about that and then also complain about actually giving them a living wage. It just doesn't make sense. And this, again, when it goes to, uh, like, 
like how Pfizer was going to um, avoid paying billions of dollars in U.S. taxes, it didn't make sense. And the U.S. Treasury stepped in and took action against inversions that derail this Pfizer deal with the Ireland pharmaceutical company. So the Treasury did this by shutting down a loophole that had allowed what is called corporate inversion. As a result, this saved hundreds, maybe even thousands of jobs that would have left the U.S. to then serve those principal executives. So not only are they trying to avoid paying their fair share in taxes, but they're taking jobs away from people like you and I, working Americans. And they don't care. They don't care. Um, So... Pfizer's plan to avoid paying U.S. taxes, it's actually reflective of what a lot of U.S.-based companies are doing to avoid paying tax dollars here in the U.S. And there's been a recently and there's been a surge in tax inversion, which is a type of business transaction where a U.S.-based company, they buy a foreign company headquartered in a country with a lower corporate income tax rate. And then they proclaim to be them to be foreign only for tax purposes, right? So to get away with tax inversion, Pfizer and the big pharma industry, they have been lobbying millions of dollars, putting millions of dollars in the pockets of our elected officials in Congress. This is how they get away with stuff like that. Then sometimes they even blackmail our elected officials, the ones that we elect. They blackmail them by threatening to move to another country if legislators do not reduce their tax rate. So it's just, I mean, if you want to say, like, they really grabbed us by the, by the neck. And they have a tight squeeze. They have a tight squeeze on power here in the U.S. and across the country. So Obama, President Obama actually did a great job um, in addressing the derailment of, again, this Pfeiffer deal with the Ireland-based pharmaceutical company. And he did a great job at summing up how many major multinationals enjoy the benefits of being American, such as they enjoy what? Government subsidies, research grants. And the fact that U.S. law doesn't really, um, law enforcement is not really stringent. And they have, just wanted to add to you, access to U.S. markets, access to U.S. customers, and access to U.S. workers without having the burdens of the U.S. tax code. That is exactly right. So I wanted to read some of Obama's quote because it was really good. So this is what Obama was saying uh, last week. As a practical matter, they keep most of their actual business here in the U.S., because they benefit from American infrastructure and technology and rule of law. They benefit from our research and our development and our patents. They benefit from our American workers who are the best in the world. Mm. But they effectively renounce their citizenship. They declare that they're based somewhere else, thereby getting all the rewards of an American company without fulfilling any of the responsibilities to pay their taxes the way everybody else is supposed to do. So America becomes a side chick in this situation. Explain. So a side chick is someone who, well, a side couple <laughs> is someone who does things where, like, someone will go to a side person to, to get some of the benefits of being in a relationship while actually not being in a relationship with them because they have somebody who actually holds that title. So they'll come there and maybe watch some Netflix and chill. And then when they're like, hey, um, I'm a little short in cash this week. Can you lend me five bucks to pay for gas? They're like, hey, this is not a thing. 
I'm going home to my real husband or wife and you can just do whatever you want to do. So their goal, just taking advantage of just some perks while not respecting them as a whole. That is a great analogy. It sort of reminds me of cuffing season, how people yes. just want someone to cuff during the winter months and then you throw them away. Cuff like to hold and be in a relationship with. So exactly. Just warm with loving. Basically. No, so that was a great analogy. Um, so just moving along, I also wanted to mention that Obama lumped in the inversions with the Panama Papers, which we just talked about earlier in the show, as examples of the rich not paying their fair share. On the other hand, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, they are not happy with these U.S. Treasury rules at all, even though the, the rules don't go far enough. So the U.S. Chamber put out a quote and they said it's punitive and it's paranoia. Right. Um, and what? yeah, the, the, the yeah, well, something's actually happening. There's uh, all the time. But when we try and fix it, it's paranoia. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate I hate conservatism. I think it's so stupid. Right. Sometimes but- I, I really do. Right. It, it just it just doesn't make sense. Um, so, you know, I want to open up to the panel and I want to open up the phone lines now. If you have questions or comments about, again, this corrupt system, the number is 212-650-6903. We're talking about, and I'm going to throw out the first question, but we're, we're talking about, again, this corrupt system where you have, you know, companies like Pfizer who are trying to take advantage of not paying tax dollars like we have to, but they take advantage of every other benefit from here in the U.S. But before we condemn Pfizer as a corporate villain, I want to ask you guys, and you guys, again, you can call in, why do you think a company actually inverts in the first place? Well, it's very simple. You want to make as much money as possible. The goal of the corporation, the goal of the board, the goal of the CEO is to bring in as much income as possible. And there's a fiduciary duty to do that to your shareholders. Exactly. So when you're looking at shareholders, it's like Twitter right now. Twitter is making, bringing in billions of dollars, but their shareholders are mad because the money is not growing. So they want Twitter to find new ways to make money. And now Twitter might just get sold off and be looked at as a failure because they're not constantly growing. And if you want to find more ways to make money, the best way to do that is to take your business somewhere else where there's no such thing as, say, a minimum wage or health insurance or worker rights. But really, this is more so about taxes than it is about those things. This is being able to say that I'm going to have access to the U.S. market. I'm going to be able to sell my goods, my product in the U.S. market, and Americans are going to... To pay for it, I'm going to get the benefits of using the U.S. Uh, market system to sell my product, but I'm going to pretend or appear to be a foreign corporation on paper because I'm going to merge with a foreign corporation and move my headquarters there. And the reason I'm going to do that is so that I can pay less taxes. And when I pay less taxes, then I make more money. You know what's crazy? If you do this like locally, you can get in trouble. So say if you put yourself in, I put my address as Long Island, I live in Manhattan. Right, in order to pay less taxes. Yeah, I can get in trouble for that. Yeah. And you probably would get in trouble yeah. for it. And meanwhile, they don't get in trouble. I mean, it's a little different because sort of like it's not just like you like, let's say you were to marry somebody who lived on Long Island mm-hmm. and they were to still have a residence on Long Island. Yeah. And now you're married and you say, well, rather than us using the city address, mm-hmm. let's use your Long Island address so that we can get a benefit. Although Long Island actually has some of the highest taxes yeah. in the country. So yeah. that's probably not a good example to use Long Island. Yeah. But like, let's say like you marry somebody from Kansas mm-hmm. and you're like, let's use your Kansas 
Kansas address so that we could pretend like we are residents and domiciled in Kansas so we can pay less taxes while we reap the benefits of being able to actually live in New York without right. paying New York taxes, but we get the benefits of all the things that come along with living in New York, such as, you know, like water that's, well, that's debatable, <laughs> water that's not as poisoned, you know, a public yeah. defender system that it's at least somewhat funded, like all these things that are literally crumbling in Kansas. A somewhat functioning transportation system. A somewhat functioning educational system. Like I said, I'm not saying New York's perfect. There are definitely some problems in all of the government entities that we just mentioned, but nowhere near the problems in places like Kansas where there's no tax money to pay for those things. But I also just wanted to go back for a second because this isn't just about the inversions themselves. This is also about what's called post-inversion maneuvers. One of those things um, is, is, is a borrowing thing. And without getting into too much complicated financial details that are going to bore you and make you not interested in this, there's a thing that's called earning stripping. And it's basically like you can lend money from your foreign headquarters to your U.S. corporation, right? So now when you lend this money, you write it down as if it, what it's, it's what's called a debt, right? It's just like when you like the credit card company lends you money when you spend money on the credit card. That is American Express lending you money so that you could go buy 17 Hennessy's at the bar on Tuesday yep. when you're out partying, but you don't have to pay for that until next month. So that's basically you getting a loan from, from Citibank. Well, what you can do in this situation, earning stripping, is you can actually lend money to your other company from your, through your foreign company, and uh, this transaction is considered a debt transaction, and so it's not taxed. Instead of being considered what's called an equity transaction, which is taxed, and so some of these rules that were announced would give the government more authority to treat these transactions as the movement of equity instead of the movement of debt, which would allow the government to tax it and make it less likely that a corporation would want it engage in this thing called earnings strippings. Right. No, thank you so much for explaining earnings strippings to us, Alyssa. I understand we have a call on the line. We have Luke who would like to let his voice be heard. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, you know, this uh, inversion thing has been going on, as you said, for a very long time. And an example of how everyday people have been doing this for years is car insurance. Mm-hmm. In New York City, car insurance is very expensive, so people get addresses outside of the state, and you'll see people parking their cars in their driveway with North Carolina plates, Virginia plates, because that's where their cars are registered in order to save money on insurance. Um, We're really at an economics crossroads in this country. Uh, One of the things I notice is um, Bernie Sanders talks about economic equality. But what is he talking about? Is he talking about local economic equality? You know, raise the um, salaries of fast food workers? Or is he talking about global economic equality? Because if he's talking about global, it's as simple as this. Half the world is too poor. Half the world is too rich. If, and you know what category we fall in. Right. If you're going to have global economic equality, then the poor half of the world's economic status has to be raised. The wealthy half of the world has lowered. Thank you so much, Luke, for calling in and dropping that science. Yeah, I use the word, Stanley. Um, you know, we definitely appreciate that. And that was actually a great example when it comes to car insurance and how people try to basically skirt out of um, paying their fair share. Uh-huh. 
But then they get, you know, we get in trouble. There's these other, you know, multinationals who don't. Alyssa, did you have a comment? Yeah, no, you know, but there's another thing that you should keep in mind, which is, um, you know, there are legitimate reasons why people do these cross-border mergers that are not always necessarily related to avoiding U.S. taxes. Now, I would probably say that makes up the minority, not the majority. And so it's really important that we keep the focus on talking about this and talking about the many, many companies that do this for tax avoidance purposes. But a big thing that the Treasury Department, when they put out a press release um, back on April 4th, which is a few days ago, they wanted to make people aware that there are genuine cross-border mergers that make the U.S. economy stronger by enabling U.S. companies to invest overseas and encouraging foreign investments to flow into the U.S. But these transactions should be driven by genuine business strategies and economic efficiencies, not by a desire to avoid U.S. taxes. Right. Well, I wanted to bring up another argument that multinationals make when it comes to tax avoidance. They say, well, you know what? We have to compete in the global economy. This is what has to take place because of globalization. How else are we going to compete with China or Russia or, you know, or, or other countries that have really cheap labor? We have to do this. What do you what do you guys say to that? You know, that's it's that's a really hard, it's a hard question, because the thing is, when you're competing with a, a, a unitary party state like you're looking at China, right? Yeah. China is a, a one-party state. It's controlled by the Communist Party. Um, you know, obviously, China has much opened up since the 1960s, since Nixon went to China. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, similar to Obama going to Cuba today. Check that out. We did a show about that uh, last week, I think it Viva was. La Cuba. Um, and you should definitely check that out. Um, but, you know, it's like it's hard to compete with businesses when a business can go to another country and get cheap labor. And what the U.S. needs to be doing then in that situation is not saying, okay, we're going to let our own corporations run wild to avoid taxes in order to compete with China. They should be saying, we need to do more to hold China accountable and India accountable and a lot of places, or Bangladesh, for example, places where people are paid low wages. The U.S. needs to do more, and I I realize you can't tell countries what to do, um, but the U.S. needs to do more to encourage countries to pay their workers more or to have more restrictions on what people or companies in those countries can pay so that those people become more competitive with our people rather than saying, oh, well, you know, people in China are making like three cents. So, you know, we have to avoid taxes in order to, you know, like that's not how we should be looking at this. Right. We should be looking at it as like, okay. Two wrongs don't make a right just because they're doing something wrong in some other country. And I get it. Like it's a business decision for you. But at the same time, like keep this in mind they still want to take advantage of american everything else so that's the other thing like some company in bangladesh is not trying necessarily to take advantage of all these other things in america these companies are literally trying to have their cake and eat it too they're like let me not pay american taxes but let me take advantage of a b c d e benefit that i get from being an american quote unquote company i just think it's it's too hard to try to hold these countries accountable because not every country has these low wages because they're just robbing their people it's just because that it's poor countries one until you can't tell countries what to do that's a longer process the easiest and fastest way to do something is to hold these companies accountable and we, we really have to do that so that you can't just say oh um i had a friend he and i were arguing about the 15 dollar minimum wage he goes well i don't care because i have a call center i'll just fire everyone in my staff and have and hire people in trinidad we only pay them 250 an hour mm. right ahead. and those no, people can, should be exposed can, can i say something that happened to me at my job um, so when I was, and I'm not going to name the online news source, but when I was working there up until like a few weeks ago, um, 
a number of people started getting, a number of staffers started getting fired. My hours got cut, my pay got cut, and it turns out that the company was relocating to the Philippines, where they were paying Filipino workers, I think, 20% of what I got paid for the same amount of labor. And you know what? It, it, at first, I'm just like, okay, is this just business as usual? But this is what businesses are always going to argue. They are always going to argue that if you raise our taxes, it's like a scare tactic. Like, if you raise our taxes, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you make it harder for us this, like if you make us provide health insurance this, it's always like no matter what, something's going to affect their bottom line. And their response is always going to be, we'll take the jobs overseas. We'll just get yep. rid of the jobs. We'll do this. And it's like, okay, people should be holding them accountable and right. saying, you know, like, that's not right that, you know, like you, you, you say that you want to be an American company, then, you know. Be an American company. Be no. in it to win it or not at all. Right. And on that note, we are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion about tax justice. And also, we're going to talk about the tax policy plans that Bernie, Trump and Sanders are offering. Stay tuned. WHCR 94.3 FM, New York. All right, guys. So we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. That was Stanley trying to sing. And we have Alyssa Fuchs. So you can sing now. Yes. So you're a singer. Do you believe that I can sing a song? <laughs> Whatever. Baby. Oh, boy. So where we left off, we were talking about tax avoidance and how multinational companies and just large corporations like Pfizer, um, they have these strategies and, tax, uh, uh, strategies and tactics to avoid paying their fair share of taxes. So the U.S. Treasury Department actually stepped in and said, you know what, Pfizer, we're not going to let you partner and move to Iceland, Iceland so that you can have, sorry, so that you can have all the benefits here in the U.S., including our workers, and actually take their jobs away and then um, so that you don't have to pay taxes. Like, you're making a lot of money. Pay it. That's what we do, right? We don't have other choices, but they do. So now we're going to segue right into the tax policy plans that our candidates, our 2016 candidates, are offering. Um, so we're going to talk about Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump. And then there was a very interesting— Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, excuse me. And there was a very interesting, um, I don't want to say beef, between Vox and The Nation, where Vox actually put out a tax calculator according to what the candidates' policy plans were and they said that if you use this calculator you can figure out how much you'll be paying in taxes and then vox came back and was like no, nation. nation came back and was like you're completely wrong well, ours no, is better they didn't say that they were <laughs> not wrong. completely they just said that it was a little misleading and so then they made uh what they call a better tax calculator a big part of that was not taking into the extra benefits so that's a, a big thing and uh you know like for example if you plug in that you make $50,000 a year into the tax calculator, um, that will tell you that under Bernie Sanders' plans, you will see your taxes go up about $6,000 a year. But what it doesn't tell you is, is that under that plan, like there, that includes a single payer healthcare system. So if you do the math and you figure out that right now you're spending I don't know, $7,000, $8,000 a year on health care, or maybe you're spending you know, $6,000 a year on health care just on the premiums if you add up what you're paying per month and et cetera, et cetera, um, if you make $50,000 a year, of course. So if you look at, if you say, I make $50,000 a year and I'm currently paying $8,000 in out-of-pocket 
health care spending under Bernie Sanders' plan, yeah, your taxes would go up by about $6,500, but your health care spending would go down to zero because you'd get health care under the single payer system, which means if you actually do the math, $8,000 minus $6,500 is actually a net savings of 1500 bucks. And so that's a big reason why people have said, like, you can't just look at the fact that taxes would go up under Bernie Sanders because you actually have to also look right. at what benefits and what money it would save you, uh, not just how much more it would cost you in taxes. Well, right. I just put the money, the um, numbers into the tax program for the nation and for Vox. So in Vox, with $50,000 a year, you'd be paying $5,725 more a year in taxes under Bernie Sanders. You'd be paying, um, I think, about 163 more under Hillary Clinton. You'd be saving $4,000 under Trump, and you'd be saving $2,700 under Cruz. But remember that cost savings. I just wanted to yeah, add, yeah. When, when, we, when, when we cut taxes, and even though you're paying less taxes, one, it means there's less money going into the government treasury, so that means there's less money going out, which means less money to spend on things like Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, and all the thousands and thousands of other things that government spends money on. Some of them good that we agree with and some of them not so good. And also, it doesn't reduce the federal debt or deficit when there's no money coming in. So you may hear tax cuts and go, oh, yeah, that's why Republicans are great. But remember what happens when tax cuts happen, like you see what happened in Kansas and Louisiana. So I did it under the nation as well. And under Hillary, you'd be taking home like you'd still be spending taking home the same amount of money. Under Bernie Sanders, you'd be taking home $163 more every paycheck. Under Ted Cruz, it's still the same thing, $2,700. And under Trump, it'd be $5,075 every two, like every year you'd be saving in taxes. So wow. those numbers drastically shift. And the, the, the thing we're not talking about right now is these are their tax plans within the campaign. They more than likely will not get these same exact tax plans when they come into office. It's just not going to happen. Right. Because it never of the, the does. political atmosphere. So you just think that it's too idealistic? Um, well, I don't know if it's too idealistic, but I just think we need to look at the political, the, like what we're facing politically in Congress and Senate right now. If we magically flip Congress and Senate to be Democratic and Bernie Sanders is still is president, it's still an uphill battle because a lot of them, well, enough of them don't fit with him ideologically to support those kind of tax um, increases. Right. No, I, I think that's a good point. I just think it's really important that people keep in mind what their taxes go to pay for. And like, right. you know, and, and that's a big thing that doesn't come into this conversation is like, yeah, your taxes may go up. But in theory, that means you might get more benefits like paid family leave and single payer health care, et cetera, et cetera. Although, as you rightly point out, those things might not happen or they might not happen right away because you still the president would still have to work for Congress. I wanted to mention something before we close out this segment. And also, uh, you know, I should mention, it sounds to me like before I get to that, Hillary Clinton is really the status quo, um, you know, which is basically keeping things very similar to Obama, whereas Bernie is going a little further to the left. Just to just add one more thing. I made a mistake in the nation. You'd be paying $40 more with Hillary Clinton. Right. Okay. Which is essentially the status quo. So I I wanted to mention this, which is there was a really interesting article uh, in The New Yorker a few weeks back, and it was about the failed experiments in Louisiana and Kansas that I've already mentioned about this cutting of taxes. And basically it starts out uh, in this fantasy world. And it says, you know, the year is... 2018 and Bernie Sanders had been elected president in 2016 and he implemented these radical tax policies and they've all fallen apart and the entire country is falling apart. And what would people want? They would say, we have to hold Bernie Sanders accountable, right? And then he switches gears and he said, well, 
now back to now, and he goes through what happened in, in Kansas with them totally cutting taxes and basically how Kansas schools are falling apart and there's no public defenders and the roads are falling apart and there's no money to fix them. And then, you know, also looks at Louisiana about how, like, their criminal justice system is totally screwed up and X, Y, and Z. And he says, why is nobody holding these people's feet to the flames, right? Like, just like they would hold Bernie Sanders' feet to the flames in 2020 if his radical tax plans didn't work. And so that's a really important thing that I think we need to be looking about in this presidential election when we look at the Republicans' tax plans like Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and say literally what they are proposing is exactly the same as what Kansas just did that failed miserably. And it's exactly the same as what Louisiana did that failed miserably supply side economics does not work and it's gonna i don't know what kind of political revolution it's gonna take to get that through conservatives heads that this let's cut taxes and let trickle let the rich trickle the money down to everybody else literally does not work it has failed in kansas it has failed in louisiana it's about to fail in kentucky and it's not gonna work as a model for the country um, let me just throw out the last one <laughs> of the last questions because time just uh, flew by. So I want to know, so you know, Stanley, based on the calculations and the research, which tax plan are you standing behind and are you, would you advise others when it I'll, comes to the candidates? Well, I mean, like the, the increase sounds a little bit scary, but I would say Bernie's or Hillary's. And the reason I say that is because, like Alyssa mentioned, you, you can't look at how much more you're going to be paying because – like the benefits and things that's going to, that are going to be rolling out are going to offset those things. And also, you're looking at even if they can't get the exact tax plans they want, the kind of rhetoric and policy they'll be pushing out will benefit most people. The question is, are we going to have enough support in Congress and Senate to make sure that happens? Because at the moment, I don't think we are. Mm, oh, well, good point. Alyssa, same question. Uh, um, let me just reiterate that. So I just want to know, which candidate's pol- uh, tax policy plan are you standing behind and supporting? I mean, I'm standing behind Bernie Sanders' tax policy plan because I think that we do need my political ideology is that, you know, people who make more money, we should have a more progressive tax code if you, you know, like, and it should we should have more tax brackets and we should use those things to benefit us so that we can have, you know, a, a strong uh, system of supporting people who lose their jobs, strong unemployment system, strong Medicare system, strong single payer, like strong educational system. And I think that's really important. And I should just add in, we should also save money by ending the war on drugs and, um, you know, reducing our prison population, which is a different conversation. Um, Nonetheless, if Bernie doesn't get the nomination, I'm going to support Hillary because I'd rather have the status quo than have a than take the Kansas failed experiment and replicate it so that it can fail the entire country so this is going to be the last one last one okay really in 30 seconds which tax when it comes to tax reform and tax justice if you in 30 seconds what are some of the solutions you see um that we need to push for going forth well i mean everyone knows it stop giving so many subsidies to these big businesses penalize corporations who try to take their businesses overseas and raise taxes on the rich that's not the, the answer to all the problems because you can't just tax the rich to pay for everything but we do have to have a more transparent and accountable tax system right thank you for that i Stanley. agree with everything that stanley says and as i said i think that we need to go back to the what i would call the eisenhower tax brackets and if you you know don't remember eisenhower is actually a conservative but there was more tax 
brackets. It was a more progressive tax code, you know, and it benefited everybody. It benefited small business owners who paid less taxes, even though they were doing well. And, it, you know, and yes, it caused the rich to have to pay more money. But those people still were doing phenomenally well during the Eisenhower administration, right. even when they were being taxed upwards of 70 to 80 percent. So Right. And, and, you know, and I'll just end by saying this, even though we just got out of a recession there, are, you know, the upper, the elite, the one percent and the two percent of uh, in this country and in this world have not been suffering. They've actually been doing much better, re- regardless of how the rest of the world um, and our economy is looking. And I wanted to say that the tax system that we currently have, it was created and has and continues to protect the privileged and the wealthy. That is why we even have class inequality. Class inequality was created. It's being protected. And I think that if we don't stand up, if we don't talk about the Panama Papers and expose what is going on in with multinationals, with corporations and world leaders, we're going to continue to have this elitist class that takes advantage and they use their power and they use their money against us. It's all about corporate greed and filling their pockets and maintaining their own status quo and that's why we as the 99 percent have to stand together and stick together at least on this issue and conservatives and liberals should definitely be coming together because you know what we're all in that large american middle class and we can all stand together to fight this issue on this one all right guys so on that note we're going to take a quick break but when we do Alyssa's coming back with a quickie rant on lgbt discrimination we are back so my name is Alyssa fuchs i'm here with the quickie and i'm going to start out by talking about vice tv and you're probably going why am i talking about vice tv well vice tv just launched and you know and it's called vice land if you've ever had vice magazine and one of the shows that is on Vice TV is a show called Gaycation. And it is being hosted by Ellen Page, who came out uh, several years ago as being gay. She's an actress. Uh, she's been in a lot of movies. And her gay best friend. And they have been traveling to lots and lots of places all over the um, the world, places where uh, homophobia is rampant. They've gone to, for example, uh, Jamaica, and they've gone to several other places. And the purpose behind them doing these traveling and these trips is to address why people are so anti-gay and how religion plays a role in that um, in other countries. And uh, the reason why I'm talking about this right now is because in America, uh, you know, 71% of people, generally speaking, of you know, are not against people being gay are, you know, in favor of LGBT people being protected under the law. And a a good more than half the country now is actually in favor of uh, gay marriage and and in other gay rights. Um, But a big segment of the population that does not benefit from the uh, benefits that I guess LGBT LGB people are getting is the the T and the queer and the and the Q the trans and the queer uh, people in the LGBT community and even some gay people in a lot of southern and midwestern states uh, you know that are a lot more conservative and a lot more religious and so the reason I bring this up because um, of what's now going on in North Carolina so uh, and, and about why you might want to you know. Think about whether you want to go to North Carolina, even if you're not gay, if you want to spend your money in a state that perpetuates this, or if you want to go to North Carolina, if, if you are gay or trans and how that might affect you. So back in February, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a pretty liberal city in North Carolina, passed an ordinance that would expand North Carolina's anti-discrimination laws to LGBT people. Um, and it would also grant public a- 
protections in places of public accommodation, which, among other things, would allow trans people to use the bathrooms of the gender they identify as. Uh, The overall goal of the government of Charlotte was to ban businesses from discriminating against LGBTQ people, and the ordinance was supposed to go into effect on April 1st. Uh, The main idea was to fill a hole in the state law because under North Carolina state law, LGBT people are not protected. Now, North Carolina actually legally permits discrimination against people based on sexual orientation and gender in public accommodations. Uh, In comparison, if you want to discriminate against somebody based on their race or their religion, you can't do that. But if somebody is gay or trans, you can discriminate against them under state law. Um, Charlotte was trying to fix this and saying, well, at least in Charlotte, we're not going to allow that to happen. And that is in line with the fact that 64% of people in North Carolina actually favor laws that protect LGBT people. Well, the state government did not like this. And so the state government said, we're going to pass a law known as HB2. They did this literally so fast that the law was passed and signed by the governor all in the same day. Literally. Wow, that's like unprecedented. Yeah, normally you know how like bills go on for like takes like months and months and months. No, literally they proposed the law, debated the law, passed the law, and the law was signed by the governor all in one day. And the law is a combination of some of the most anti-LGBT measures that have ever been proposed in the U.S. It pretty much goes further than some of these other places that we've seen this happen. I'm going to get to that a little later on. Um, It not only repeals the Charlotte Ordinance, but it bans any other city in the state of North Carolina from making their own thing. So what has it actually done? Do. It overturns the Charlotte Ordinance. It bans any other city from doing that, as as I already mentioned. It says that public accommodations, hotels, restaurants, and other places can actually discriminate against LGBT people. Um, and it prohibits transgender people from using bathrooms or locker rooms in schools and government agencies based on their gender identity. Instead, they have to use the bathroom that fits with the gender on their birth certificate. So what that basically means is if I identify as male and I have a mustache and I have a beard and I have short hair and I look like a man, but my birth certificate says I'm a female, I have to use the women's bathroom. On the other side of that, if I was born a man and I identify as a woman and I have long hair and I have breasts and, you know, I look like a woman, the law says I have to go into the men's bathroom, which not only is totally absurd because that's like, why would you want somebody who literally is a woman in the men's bathroom or why would you want somebody who's literally a man in the woman's bathroom is like more absurd than this law um, and also puts trans people at risk because they're likely when they have to go into the bathroom that matches their birth certificate, they're likely to be sexually assaulted, raped and sometimes even killed. Um Crazy enough, the minimum wage also falls under the state's anti-discrimination law. So this law also says that governments aren't able to set their own minimum wages besides what the state government says. But I'm not really going to get into that portion of it. The idea is that, you know, well, we shouldn't have men going into women's bathrooms. And this all starts with this, like, thing called the bathroom myth, which is basically... A lot of religious people claim that this bill protects the safety and of children and women and it prevents right. men from going into the bathroom. Well, that's actually a myth. Um, people say that the idea is that if trans people are legally allowed to use the bathroom that corresponds with their gender, that men will take advantage of this law and they will enter women's bathrooms in order to sexually assault women. Well, experts from 12 different states with laws that protect LGBT people from discrimination have looked into this. There is not one single reported instance 
acceptance of sexual assaults in bathrooms by people pretending to be trans in order to go into. In fact, we've had more sexual assaults committed by members of the U.S. House and the government, literally, senators and House of Representative members, elected officials have committed more sexual assaults in bathrooms than trans people have or people pretending to be trans, which that number is zero, where the senator's number is like 12. Maybe we should ban senators from the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. Um, going uh, right along here, now that I've told you what the law actually does, what other states have done this or are other states doing this? Yes, they are. Last year, this was done in Indiana. It faced so much backlash that it was now, uh, you know, they had to clarify the law. Um, we've seen it in Arkansas, in Mississippi, in gov- the governor of Georgia, based on pressure from law uh, from businesses, has actually said, no, 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 I'm not going to do this here, uh, this here in Georgia. Uh, now, speaking of that, uh, what's going to happen next? Well, this law may not last long. There's already been a federal lawsuit f- uh, filed and saying that this law violates the 14th Amendment. There's also a federal lawsuit being filed saying that this uh, basically violates Title 10 because this is sex discrimination. In addition, you have a lot of businesses pulling out their support from the state. So PayPal says we were going to expand into North Carolina. We are not going to do that now. We were going to create 400 jobs. We are not bringing those jobs. A&E and 21st Century Fox said that they were going to reconsider whether they want to use North Carolina to film something. And over 120 CEOs have now signed a letter asking the governor to repeal this law. That includes Google, Apple, Facebook, Bank of America. And as I already mentioned earlier, mayors and governors have put banned state-sponsored travel there. So I'll end by saying this. I find this law to be awful, horrible, 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 horrible. Like, it really just pisses me off that they are, like, taking this, like, this backlash because of gay marriage is literally being felt on trans people. As we talked about last week when we talked about our mental illness and the mental illness stigma segment, which you should go listen to, trans people are suffering the most from these laws. They are literally being raped, killed, and committing suicide at high rates and these laws have a lot to do with that these laws literally say to trans people you are less of a person you are a second class citizen you are not uh you know not not only it's not that you're not as good as anybody else which is you are literally less than everybody else you are an animal you are disgusting and that is just horrible and that's not what we should be telling trans people and that's especially not what we should be telling trans youth when Layla alcorn committed suicide last year in her suicide note she wrote There's nothing wrong with me. The problem was with society. Fix society, please. And I absolutely agree with her. We need to fix society. We need to repeal laws like this, challenge laws like this, and challenge people at the polls by voting people out of office that support laws like this. Well, thank you for that dropping of science, Alyssa. You drop the mic and you drop the science. That's my new slang term. And what? So we appreciate that, guys. And, of course, we appreciate all of you who called, who listened, who tweeted and hung out with us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard on this Sunday morning. We'll be back next week. Um, hopefully, we'll have a dreamer and doer. So I know that's one of the, well, probably one of my favorite things to do here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. So stay tuned. And make sure you check us out at lyvbh.com. That is our website. And you can always listen back to our podcast if you subscribe via iTunes at LYVBH Radio. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.